Good morning. This is good, isn't it? It's good, isn't it? Last time I was here, late preaching was a very different Sunday, uh, back in uh, September, where there was a, are we going to come here? Are you going to want us here? All of those kind of things. And God is so good. I have to remember, forgive me guys at the top, I'm not used to a balcony, so I have to remember to look up, but we're here. Isn't God great? Yeah, Yeah, well, act like he is then. You know, I mean, come on, guys, you know. It's lovely to be here. Let me just um, pray into that, because this is a, it's a special day. Not because I'm special, or um, I was going to say, oh, my wife and kids are special. Well, they are special, but, but because this has been God's plan. Yeah, this has been what God has ordained, what God was going to bring into being, that we didn't know about a little while ago. And it's a, it's a sign that God is working, that God is moving, that he's doing things in our lives and in the life of this church. Father, we want to praise you today. We want to thank you that you're a God who is still working. Even though the stats might say that in certain aspects church attendance is declining, your love never declines. And you have got a new thing. You are doing a new thing. You are planting a new thing in our hearts, in the life of this church. We want to praise you and thank you that your voice, your whisper, has spoken to our hearts. We don't know what it means for the future, but we're excited to be here today on the 15th of January, 2023, with all that you have laid before us. Yeah, so we give you praise and honour today. Bless you, Lord. Amen. 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 I don't know if you're somebody who makes uh, New Year's resolutions. In 2023, personally, I want to lose weight. Oh, thank you for saying I don't need to. That was really kind of you. I want to lose weight. I want to I get fitter. I want to be a, a better dad. I want to be a better husband. Uh, and all of those kind of things. I genuinely want to be a, a, a better all-round version of me. But I don't make a New Year's resolution. Because the minute I make a New Year's resolution, I then got to put work into that. <laughs> and I want to be all of those things, but I don't want to put any work into achieving those things. And also, I don't want to tell anybody else about those things, because then you're going to hold me accountable to those things. And I don't want to do that. And that's the trouble with New Year's resolutions. We start off with all these great intentions that we're going to do, these amazing and these wonderful things. And do you know what? The second Friday in January is known as Quitter's Day. It is. How do I know that? Because it's a fount of all knowledge. Google told me. But it's called Quitter's Day. And that's the day when most people give up on their New Year's resolutions. Tuesday, this year, the 17th of January, 2023, is estimated that over 80% of people will jack their New Year's resolutions in. It's too hard. They've had a gutsful. They've reached for the biscuit tin. Okay? So if you last till Wednesday, if you've made one, yeah, you can be pretty smug. You're, you're in the top 10 to 20% of the human population that you went beyond what is the normal when people give up on their New Year's resolutions. And only 10% of people will carry their New Year's resolutions on for a whole year. So this morning, we're starting a new series. Let's start as we mean to go on. And we're going to give up by about Tuesday, okay? So you're with me on that one? When you start something new, 
you're doing, you're starting as you mean to go on, aren't you? So if you do make a New Year's resolution on the 1st of January, you're saying, I want to start this new year as I mean to go on. And when we start as we mean to go on, there are often things that we, we seek to put in place, practical things that will enable us to start to, as we, we mean to go on. My wife, Gemma, has said to me, uh, when we were in Portsmouth, where I didn't have an office in the manse, so my desk was in the dining room, and she was fed up of it always looking a mess. I know you find it hard to believe that I would keep my desk in a mess. And she said to me, when we move to Billericay, and you've got an office, can you start as you mean to go on? Can we have a clear desk policy? So if somebody walks in there, you're not, it doesn't look, oh my giddy aunt, what on earth has Wayne done in here, you know? Can we start as we mean to go on that it's nice and tidy? And that people often say, don't we right, a new year or a new season or a new this. I'm going to start as we mean to go on. And I'm saying all of this because today we start a new sermon series. That's called, let's start as we mean to go on. And I want this start that I'm going to talk about shortly to go far beyond the 17th of January. Far beyond Wednesday, far beyond February, far beyond the summer, far beyond the rest of this year. I want it to be a start as we mean to go on as a church and as a people always. Because starting as you mean to go on isn't just a one-time thing. It's a continuation. We've got to keep moving and going forward. And I was thinking and praying about this long before I moved to Billericay, back in October and November time, when we knew we were coming here, I started thinking, not just because Bernard was hassling me for a preaching series for this new year, but I started thinking, what is it that God wants to say as we start this new venture, this new season together as pastor and people? And I had a clear sense that what God didn't want is for us to race out of the blocks at 100 miles an hour. You see, when a new minister comes to a church, there's often this, this unspoken about expectation that there's going to be this kind of an explosion of the new. And it's like, right, we've, we've been waiting for this new person to come. And now they're here, bang, we can do all of these things, we can get it all going, and we can radically change the whole world by Wednesday. Now, that is completely unsustainable. You will not only kill yourselves, you will kill me in the process as well. And you don't know me yet. Please don't do that yet. Wait until Thursday at least, you know. I just thought, that is not what, that's not starting as we mean to go on. Of course, there are things that I want us to get involved in as the weeks and months and years will move forward. But I want us to hold in our minds that we are human beings not human doings. Yeah, we're human beings, not human doings. And so I want us to start as we mean to go on. Last Monday, just gone, so this is the end of my my first full week, and uh, I was reading my my Bible uh, at the start of my day, and I was reading the commentary on it, and I've shared it with a few people in various different settings this week. And the commentator said, let's bless the Lord for this fresh beginning in a new place. And I thought, that's pretty cool. On the first day that I start officially as your new church pastor, I'm reading, let's bless the Lord 
for this fresh beginning in this new place. I thought, what does that mean? How How do we do that? Because you're not in a new place, geographically. We are, as a family. But we're all in a new place, in the sense of what God is doing here, aren't we? We're all in a new place because we're in a new season, a new venture. And I thought, what is it that God is saying to us through that? And you see, this for me is the umbrella of this whole new series, this whole new start that we have. That we start right as we mean to go on and we bless the Lord for this fresh beginning in this new place. And I believe we do that by making the main thing Jesus and Jesus the main thing. By making the main thing Jesus and Jesus the main thing. And to do that, we're going to be thinking about some themes from this book. Some of you will have read this book. Some of you will love this book. Some of you will hate this book. But we're still going to be looking at some of the themes from this book, obviously linked in with Scripture. And this book is by John Mark Comer, and it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you haven't got a copy of this book, open your heart and your mind, and I'd encourage you to get a copy and have a read of it. And there's a subtitle that says, How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World. And regardless of who we are, regardless of our age, regardless of our background, we're all here or we're online And it's the 15th of January, 2023. It's the modern world. We're all living in the same date, aren't we? We're all living in the same age. And so there is a chaos in the modern world that would seek to pull us away from God. And we need to come to God. We need to start as we mean to go on and ask him, how do we stay spiritually healthy in the world in which we are living? Because there is something in the world that is negatively affecting our relationship with God. It is hindering a starting as we mean to go on. And the whole premise of that book is John Mark Comer would say, it is hurry. Hurry is the thing that is affecting a starting right. Hurry is the thing that is affecting our relationship with God. Hurry is the problem. Hurry is the problem. Hurry is the enemy that takes us away from a healthy relationship with Jesus. And isn't it a healthy relationship with Jesus that we want as we start, is it? Yeah. There's lots that we want to do, maybe, but what we need is that healthy relationship spiritually as together we seek to move forward. And this morning, as I introduce this new series, you may or may not agree with me on that. That's okay. But can I ask you to just journey with me? You know, to to open your heart and your mind that, you know what, you might need to learn something today. That actually it might be hurry. You see, hurry is dangerous. Back in 1999, my mum, bless her, was in hospital. She had leukemia. She was dying. And I was training for ministry at the same time. And I was looking after my nan, her mum, to make sure she was okay at the same time. And I was close to burnout, running around like a a headless chicken. Not that I've ever seen a headless chicken run around. Has anybody ever seen a headless chicken? I've never seen one, but it's a phrase we have, isn't it? 
So I was here, there, and everywhere, trying to make sure that I was visiting my mum in hospital, trying to make sure I was doing my exams and studying ancient Greek, which is not great at the best of times, and, and all of these things, preaching in different churches, making sure my nan was all right, going up to visit her to get her pension, do her shopping, make sure she had enough food. And, and I was just all over the place. My head was all over the place, as well as me physically being all over the place. And there was this one day, I can vividly remember it, because when you hear the story, it's not something you're ever going to forget. And I visit my nan, I make, take her a shopping, she's okay, she wants to talk, so I say, yes, nan, it's nice to see you, blah 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 I've got to go, so I get in the car to go, thinking of the next thing that I'm hurrying onto. I have a quick check in the rearview mirror, nothing come in, stick the car in reverse, put the foot on the gas, boom, straight back. As I go back, I hear this thump. And I look in my rearview mirror, and I see an old man's flat cap floating to the floor. You can laugh, he's okay, there's humour in tragedy as well. And I thought, oh no, that's not good. So I get out and I see the guy, my nan lived in a a warden-controlled OAP complex, and I see him, he'd been ill for a little while, this was his first day out. And I'd knocked him over. He was okay. So I picked him up and wiped the gravel and bled off his hands and took him back to his wife, and uh, he had a whiskey because he was a little bit shaken. I didn't because I was driving. And um, I, I, I did that thing, said, well, I'm really sorry. Is there anything I can do? Now, bear in mind, I'm hurrying on to my next thing. Is there anything I can do? Let me tell you, I had a list as long as eight sheets of A4 paper. I had to go into town. I had to get their pension. They trusted me to get their pension. I had to go and do their shopping. I had to do. I went all of these things that took me hours. I get back and I give it all to him. I go and see my nan. Explain what's happened. Said he's okay. He's fine. But can you go and see him this evening to make sure he's okay? Because I'm going to be worrying about this guy. The following day, I go back to see my nan. How was he? He said, "Well, he had no idea what you were talking about." I thought, "Oh no, then I've given him brain damage as well." Turns out she'd only gone to the wrong person who had the same name. <laughs> True story. She had spent an evening with this guy asking if he was okay, Wayne's really sorry, all this, and he had no idea what she was talking about because she'd gone to see the wrong guy, but he was okay, you know? Hurry is dangerous. <laughs> you may be able to relate to that, not that you've done something stupid as knocking somebody over because you've been in a hurry, but you've been so hurried that you've done something that is not great. Because you've done it without even thinking. You see, the problem is hurry. Dallas Willard, the American philosopher who wrote much about Christian formation when he was alive, said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day, and you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. That's what this book is based on. He could have, been, he could have said anything. We could have said to him, Dallas, what, what is the great enemy of the spiritual life today? He could have said, well, it's any kind of addiction. He could have said it's broken relationships. He could have said immoral behavior. He could have said a whole host of things. And yet he said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life today. And you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Corrie Ten Boom, you know, who helped many Jewish people escape during World War II. Later on in life, a renowned author, renowned speaker internationally, once said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you hurry. 
He'll make you busy. John Mark Comer said there's so much truth in that because both sin and busyness can have the same effect as they cut off your connection from God, from people, and even your very self. One more quote, this time from the famous psychologist Carl Jung. He used to say, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. How that to sink in? Hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. If you want to know if any of this that I'm spouting out is true, Think of your week coming up. Do a little exercise this week. And when you go up to somebody and say, how are you doing? Count how many times they say, oh, I'm great, but I'm really busy. Really great, but so busy. When somebody asks you, how are you doing? Catch yourself when you say, oh, I'm doing really well, but really busy. I've got 101 things to do. We go through life at 300 miles an hour. Friends, extreme busyness has become the benchmark we live by and we wear that extreme busyness like a badge of honour. We fooled ourselves into thinking that when we're extremely busy and this manifests itself in hurry, we're somehow more important in the world and for our peers around us. Now before you think this is just a sneaky way of me at the start of my ministry advocating for a three-day working week for a full stipend, it's not. <laughs> But if the elders and trustees want to have a conversation about that, that's great, you know. There's a good side to busyness. A full and God-centered life can be busy. In this way, Jesus was busy. He had led a full life. We're not talking about that, but we're talking about an extreme and uncontrolled busyness. That is hurry. Where there's too much to do and not enough time to do everything. And that's incompatible with life and with love. For it's incompatible with God. Don't worry, I won't be showing a book at you every sermon I preach. But there's a book by an Asian theologian, Koisuke Kayama. He's died now. And it's called Three Mile an Hour God. And in here he says these words. Why three mile an hour? That's the average speed somebody walks. And he says, God walks slowly because he is love. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has a speed. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It is slow, yet it is Lord over all other speeds since it is the speed of love. It is the speed we walk and therefore it is the speed the love of God walks. Isn't that beautiful? Love has a speed. The three mile an hour God. When we're too busy and hurry is deeply affecting our life, we find that we're short with people. Hands up if you've never been short with somebody. No? Okay. We, 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 res- we react as opposed to respond. We're, we're, we're quick to speak and slow to listen. Quick to accuse and slow uh, to love. And that deeply affects our lives. Now, friends, none of this is new. The three of the three people that I've mentioned, Kosoki Koyama, Cory Tenboom, and Dallas Willard, wrote these things a long time ago. They're, they're all in glory now. 
There's a thing called hurry sickness, where there are physical risks to our bodies when we're too hurried. Again, that's not new. It was in the 1950s that they saw the correlation between busyness, hurried, stress, uncontrolled busyness, and heart problems, and stress, and stomach problems, and headaches. And that was in the night. That was seven decades ago. Do we think that we've got slower in the last seven decades? Not at all. Seven decades ago, they didn't have mobile phones. They didn't even have, lots of people didn't have phones at home. You know, those things you just have a cord. Remember those days? Not everybody had a TV. Certainly didn't have remote control TVs. Your dad used to take us to stand up to go and put number one on, didn't he? I was the remote control in our house. In the 1950s, when people used to start work at nine and finish at five, and Saturday and Sunday, unless you were doing shift work, you didn't work. Shops were closed on a Sunday. I'm not advocating back, to, I'm not saying they were the glory days. But what I'm saying is, if in the 1950s there was a thing called hurry sickness, and people were making the correlation between our physical well-being and uncontrolled busyness, we better listen to it now, hadn't we? Are you with me, church? You know? And being consumed with hurry is not a new thing, and Jesus spoke about it. Jesus spoke about it in the reading we heard from Matthew's Gospel that we heard earlier in the service. I'm going to read it again, only this time from the message paraphrase. Are you tired, worn out? Burned out on religion. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. In those words, three short verses, Jesus highlights the problem and the solution. He highlights the problem is that are we weary, are we burdened? Are we running around like, like 100 miles an hour? Are, are we consumed with an unhealthy sense of busyness? Are we consumed with this uh, hurry sickness? He highlights it. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Come to me. Get away with me. That's the solution. The solution is to come to Jesus. The solution is not when I just get over this season, when I've just finished this project, when this just isn't happening. That's not the solution because there will always be another project. There will always be another busy season. The solution is to come to Jesus, to get away with him. And you see, the problem being that we've allowed the world to steal our lives away from Jesus and to dictate how uh, it has fostered our relationship with hurry. That's not what God wants for us. We read in Romans 12, Paul says these words. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become, this is it, Hear this, church. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside 
at. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, are you tired and worn out? Or as other translations, weary and burdened. Paul says the solution, the antidote to allowing the culture around us to dictate, to set the tone, to set the speed for our lives, is to fully fix our attention on God. And God has a speed. And it's three miles an hour. Because that's the speed of love. That, friends, is how we start as we mean to go on. We don't allow the world to tell us what we're going to do, to tell us how fast we need to run through life. We fix our attention on God. And if God says, I want you to be still and know that I'm God and just stop, then we stop. Are you with me? And friends, it's fully in line with what Jesus talks about when he says, come into him, he promises to give us rest. You know, in the New Living Translation, it talks about the yoke, doesn't it? We all know that that's not the yellow of an egg. It's the, it's the, the contraption that was put around an ox. It was uncomfortable. It was hard. It, it didn't fit. And it was put around so that, that, so that the worker could dictate, could, could hurtfully and painfully Move that ox where he wanted it to go. Jesus says, come to me, get away. I'll give you a yoke that's comfortable. Why is it comfortable? Because it's purpose-built. It's purpose-built for you. And put that around you. And I won't do that to you. I won't push you and force you. I'll gently, because it'll be comfortable. We'll go together. We'll, We'll move in the same rhythm. Come with me. Get away with me. Learn the unforced Rhythms of grace. If you've had children or you've held a baby, you start doing this, don't you, when you've got a baby? Even when you put the baby down, you carry on moving, don't you? <laughs> but it's a dance. Don't worry, I'm not going to do expressive dance in worship. But nobody needs to see that. <laughs> but you just dance with God. Dance with Jesus to the rhythm that he is setting for you, not the rhythm that the world is dictating and forcing upon you. It's a bit like a a dog. Do you know, with a dog, I found this out only recently, a dog has the ability, you know they say smoothing the dog is good for stress? Smoothing any animal, good for stress. Apparently with a dog, as you're sat there smoothing the dog, a dog has the ability to align their heartbeat in the same rhythm as yours. I never knew that. That's why it calms us down. And what Jesus is saying, come with me, get away with me. I'll show you how to recover your life, to have a real rest, to to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Align your heartbeat, the heartbeat of Jesus. Not what the world is telling you, to be running around at 110 miles an hour. You know, the enemy tells us that when we're we're busy, when we've got lots of things, we just need more time. We don't need more time. That's not how you start to mean to go on. What you need is more Jesus. (laughs) It's not more time. When we have more time, we simply fill it. Because that's what we do as human beings. We fill the spaces we have. In our married life, we lived in seven different properties. All different kinds of properties. We've gone from a two-bedroom flat... At one point, we went to a four-bedroom, newly built house. Let me tell you, there was not two bedrooms had nothing in them. (laughs) 
Because we filled the space. And that's what we do with our time. That's what Harry signals. We fill the space. The only solution to overcoming hurry sickness is to get away with Jesus, to allow him to show us what's important, to walk at the speed of love and to learn Jesus' unforced rhythms of grace. And we do that just by practicing the way of Jesus, to, to have a life of prayer around a life of an apprentice to Jesus is to live around three simple goals. To be with Jesus. To become like Jesus. To do what Jesus would do if he were you. If you've got a pen, write it down. If you've got your phone, get it out. If you've got a wonderful memory, remember it. To be with Jesus. To become like Jesus. To do what Jesus would do if he were you. Repeat it after me. To be with Jesus. To... <sighs> Let's dance to the same rhythm here, shall we? To be with Jesus. To be with Jesus. To become like Jesus. To do what Jesus would do if he were me. That's it. To be with Jesus. To become like Jesus. To do what Jesus would do if he were me. It's what Jesus is saying in the reading we had from Matthew. He knows the, excuse me, he knows the problem. He knows we're washed out with life. And might I add with church sometimes as well and all the activities that we do. And Jesus says the solution to the life that God wants you to live, to start as we mean to go on, is to practice the way of Jesus, to watch how he does it, to dance and move in step with him. It's why those verses at the end of Matthew 11 are so vitally important. You know, remember in Romans, Paul telling us not to fit into our culture without even thinking to live as Jesus encourages us to live is countercultural. Because culture seeks to push us, to pile more on at every level. And God says, no, don't do that. Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what Jesus would do if he you. How do we do that? Don't worry, we're coming to a close. You will hear time is not my greatest ability, but we're coming to a close. We do it by having a rule of life. Not a list of rules. A singular rule of life. In the ancient language, that word for rule of life, it was regular or ruler. It meant straight. It was a, a straight piece of wood or, or a trellis. On a, on a vineyard. You can't really see it, the trellis, but without it, the, the, the vines just collapse. That's why Jesus says in, in, in John, you know, um, abide in me. Stay close, stay connected to the vine. So this rule of life, this, this way of life, it's, it's something that's straight. It's attached. It, it means it holds everything else up and allows everything else to grow. That's what Jesus had with the Father. And you see, we need a trellis that enables us to grow and bear fruit. We need that way of life, a set of practices that help us to align ourselves with God. And so we start to mean as we and so as we start as we mean to go on, we intentionally realign ourselves to God. And that's what I want us to do as we start this new season, this new year, this new place in a new season. You know, as a church, you've been through a tough season over the last couple of years. 
all of us in the world have been through a tough couple of years with COVID. We know that God has more for us as a church. We may sense he has more for us as, as individuals. But, but we start by seeking to realign ourselves with God, and we do that by watching how Jesus lived and putting his practices into place in our lives. So over the following four sermons in this series, it won't be for the next four weeks because there's other things happening, but over the following four sermons in this series, we'll look at four practices from the way of Jesus. You know, in Matthew, when Jesus says, what shall I do it? What he meant was, what shall I live? Watch what's important to me. And what was important to Jesus was his way, his rule of life, his trellis. And as part of that, it included silence and solitude, Sabbath, simplicity, and slowing. And I'm a Baptist, and it's great that they all begin with S. That's wonderful. These are all practices to slow down, to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives in order to have our lives based around Jesus. To help us find our own rule, our own trellis, our own way of living with Jesus. That is sustainable, that will go far beyond when we're still paying for a gym membership, but we no longer go. It's how do you live out these four practices of Jesus in your life? So that it doesn't mean that you're never busy, but it means you're not unhurried in an unhealthy way. You know, we read in Hebrews 1, 9, that God poured out all the oil of joy upon Jesus. You could say Jesus was, was happy. He was contented as he lived with deep joy in his life. In all the busyness, he never lost sight of what was important. And to live life well and to stay close to the Father, he needed to allow silence and solitude, Sabbath, simplicity and slowing to be the trellis, the rule, the way of his life. That all of those things held his relationship with the Father straight and true. Can the worship group come back up, please? And you like that, don't you? Because you know I'm coming to an end. <laughs> As we draw this to a close, can we just accept and maybe just agree that we all struggle with an unhealthy relationship with hurry? Can we also just Get rid of the lie of the enemy that says it's other people that deal with this, not you. Sorry, that you're the only one that struggles with it. Everybody else has got it all licked. They're okay with it. I'm 51. And I struggle with this stuff. It's not easy to live in a different way to the way that the culture places around us. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, that's all okay, Wayne, but, uh, but you're not in my life. You don't know what it's like to live the life that I live the pressures that I have. You're right, I'm not. I probably don't fully know all that you're going through. I'm not saying your pressures aren't real. They are, I know that. But what I'm saying is you've probably tried working harder. You've probably said when this season is over, life will be better. You may have got a diary out and scheduled everything to within an inch of your life. You know, a number of years ago as a family, an extended family, we, we went to Disney in Florida. It was great. And before we went, we, we contacted some friends in Alabama who go to Disney, uh, like, like we go to a supermarket, they're always there. They, they, they know everything about Disney. So we, we said, can you help us work out a plan so we get the best out of these two weeks? And Alan, he's in the military, and uh, 
he, he, he got this plan and it was, you know, wake up at 0600 hours. It was, it, was, it was like that. And at one point I said to him, Alan, is there any space in here to go to the toilet? He said, Wayne, you care, but you might miss something. <laughs> I think that's how we live. We don't live with the space to go to the toilet, if you see what I'm saying. We cram it. There's no room for God to bring his rule of life into our lives. And we live with hurry sickness. And God is saying as we start this new year, don't make a New Year's resolution to do better, but rather just choose to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus and do what Jesus would do if he were you. By putting these simple practices of silence and solitude, Sabbath, simplicity, slowing into your life. Now, surely, friends, that's a good way to start, isn't it? But it's for us as a church as well. Remember when I preached with a view in our time after the service, I made a point of saying you're an active church, and I said an active church doesn't mean a spiritually healthy church. It wasn't a criticism, it was an observation, and I'm now part of that active church. Let's not just be active for the sake of being active, but let's have time where we slow, where we Sabbath, where we're silent, where we simplify things to allow our heart to slowly sway, to slowly be in the same rhythm as Jesus, to be with him, to move with him, to watch how he does it, to allow him to build into our lives what he wants to build into our lives, not what we think the world is telling us to build into our lives, not what we even think the Christian world, the church world is telling us to build in, but what God is telling us to build. Now you're with me, church. Let's stand together. I want us to respond. We're going to sing the song, Build My Life, and some words of that says, you know, worthy of every song we could ever sing, worthy of every praise we could ever bring, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Just breathe in. Take a deep breath in. Just breathe in the newness that Jesus has for you, church. Just breathe it in. Allow it not just to fill your lungs, but to symbolically for him to fill your heart. And that song goes on to say, I will build my life upon your love. It's a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be be shaken. Come on, church, this is it. As we start 2023, as we start a new season, as we start as we mean to go on to build our lives, to build this new ministry upon Jesus, to not allow the world to shake us or mold us, but to practice the way of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's sing this out together. Sing it as a, as a response. Sing it as a prayer. I just want to say, do you know what? Maybe you just you want somebody to pray with you. Maybe you just want, you know you've got hurry sickness. You just want to come and re-covenant, recommit yourself to Jesus. I just want to encourage you. We don't do this very often, do we? We're too in a British church. If you want to come forward, just come forward. Somebody come and pray with you. Just as a symbolic, God, I, I want to be with Jesus. I want to become like Jesus. I want to do what Jesus would do as he with me. Because I want to build my life upon your way of life, upon your trellis. If you need to do, symbolically lay something down to God today, as we sing, just come forward. Let's sing together. Build my life.